Romans chapter 5, Ephesians 3 and Romans 5. Um, can, I, can I be real with you for a minute? Um, a friend of mine, a good pastor friend of mine asked questions and he says, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So um, <laughs> just thought of him. There's Sundays where I don't feel like preaching. There's some Sundays where I don't feel like preaching. Not because I, I don't like it, but because it's hard. Um, and you'll, you'll hear this morning, I'm going to share something that um, I'm walking through with a, a friend of mine and my wife together, friends of ours who don't live nearby but are walking through something very difficult in their lives. And um, this morning, my heart is just really kind of raw and, and a little hurting. I got Kleenex. <laughs> um, but my prayer is this, as much as like, I'm like, Lord, can I just stay home today? Um, that it's in those moments in our brokenness and our weakness that God moves in mighty ways. And w what I want to do is ask two things. Um, as, I'm, as I'm speaking this morning, would you just contend in prayer uh, for me, for our friends, and, and I'll share a little bit more of their story in a minute but also for what God wants to do in you. Because I know those Sundays where I'm like, Lord, I'd rather be sitting next to a lake fishing today. Um, God says, no, I'm going to move. I'm going to move. And, and I'm thankful for that because it reminds me that it's not me, that it's Christ in me, that it's not you, and it, that it's Jesus in you who does mighty, mighty things. In a series called Rooted and Established, which started three weeks ago, we're in the fourth week. Um, this morning, the title of my message this morning is Built to Weather Storms. Built to Weather Storms. Um, you know, God's timing is phenomenal. Um, it, it, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for many, many years, and I'm still surprised in those times where things happen in my life and the timing of the word, the timing of a message, the timing of circumstances, and you go, God, wow. You want to say, God, how did you know? And then you remember, well, you're God, so um, you always knew. And so the surprise for us becomes a point of encouragement because we see in it the nature and the character of God revealed. Rooted and established is our theme for 2017 as a church. And, and as I've shared, as I was praying towards the end of last year, Lord, what is it that you want to speak to us as a congregation as we move into this new year, as we set our sights on the things that you have for us? Very clearly, he spoke to me about this word rooted and established, which um, is found in Ephesians 3 and in, in Colossians chapter 2, as we read last week. Um, you know, and it fits so clearly with the vision of Thrive Church, which is helping people thrive in Christ. That's what we're about as a church. We're, we're all about helping people thrive in Christ. Anyone this morning want to thrive in Christ? Right? My, my prayer, my hope is that all of us would say, yes, I, I want to thrive. I want my life uh, to just be just overflowing with the goodness and, and the blessing of God. John 10.10 10 is our kind of a core verse for our church, and it says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It's all he knows to do. It's all he can do. But Jesus says, I've come that you, not they, you, may have life and have it abundantly overflowing in a way that would be best characterized as thriving. We talked about seed. We've talked about soil over these past few weeks. We've talked about uh, how God wants to deposit his word in our lives and how the soil of our lives need to be ready to receive everything he has and, and how the condition of the soil will always af- affect the fruitfulness of whatever is growing in that soil. And um, we established the fact that the seed, God's word, is always good. God's word is always good. There's never a point where his word isn't good, it isn't perfect, it's not timely for our lives. The, the thing that changes is our soil and, and that we need to be tending to the soil uh, of our lives. Last week, we looked at Colossians and we talked about, uh, we talked about hurricane straps on a, on a house and how these, these little metal brackets when fastened to the, 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 the points of the, the, the construction in a home. Um, in fact, I think we have a picture of that. Can we get that up there? That's a hurricane strap, and it looks, it's not that big. It's, it's only about this big, a little piece of metal. When fastened to the joints and the walls and the, the framing in a home, will hold it together in the midst of a hurricane. We talked about how the warning to the Colossians was, don't let, don't let yourself be uh, brought, brought captive or be held captive by the, the thinking of this world, right? Because our thinking affects how we live, right? Does your thinking affect how you live, right? Every time I dro- drive past Donut Man, <laughs> I have to think, I don't need that donut. I have to think it, right? I have to think about, man, I've lost some weight. I'm doing good. I don't need, but I have to think it if I think like, Hey, no, it's all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop everything. And, and it's funny, my my friends who, uh, you know, who, who pastor all around the country actually, but went to Bible college in in San Dimas at Life Pacific College. One of our favorite things to do was to go to Donut Man at all hours of the day and night. And so, so the joke is always when we were with some past, pastors this last week, and they're like, "Isn't it hard living in Glendora with Donut Man there?" And and the answer is yes, it is. But I have to think <laughs> about the fact that I can't just stop there every time I drive by because that would not be a good thing. Our thinking affects how we live our lives. And, and, and of course, Paul, in addressing the Colossian church, is saying, listen, there's ways of, of thinking that are being introduced to the church that are contrary to what God, God has. Don't let yourself be held captive. And, and so we talked about hurricane straps for our faith that help us stay grounded in who Christ is and not lose sight. Our key passage for this series has been Ephesians 3. And uh, if you're open to that, you can read it in your Bible or you can check it up up on the screen. Um, But we're going to read verses 14 through 19. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We all have the same daddy. We all have the same Father. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established 
in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's excited about what he's sharing. He's excited that this is a message he gets to share with the Ephesian church and, and with all of these believers saying, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like. If you're a man, a woman, if you're Jew or Greek or slave or free, it doesn't matter what, what it is that you're coming out of. When you come to Christ and you're established in love, all of this is available to all of you. Think about that. All of the fullness of who God is is available to all of us. That's mind-boggling and mind-blowing, and, 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 and that's why he says it surpasses knowledge, because I can't wrap my head around that. You know, I, I heard someone say once, and it, it, it's affected how I pray. He said this, the sovereignty of God and the bigness of God and, and who God is, 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 is so much more than I understand that when I pray, I don't even know what to ask for. That when you pray, that, that you don't even know what to ask for because it's beyond what you can understand. Which, by the way, when, when, when God starts, and, and Paul even through, through the Holy Spirit writes those words that there's these moments where I'm praying and I don't know what to pray. And so I just, there's these inner groanings, right? Because I just don't know what to pray because it surpasses what I understand, you know, when he says that God wants to strengthen you, that these glorious riches, uh, through his, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you, why would you need to be strengthened? Why would you need to be strengthened? I'm, you can answer me, it's okay. Because, because we're what? Because we're weak. We're weak. We're weak. The only reason you would need to strengthen something is because it's weak. Right? We had that massive rainstorm on Friday night, and then there were news reports on Saturday where, man, this many trees fell down, and this many roads got washed out, and, and, right, and, 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 and you, it reveals all, there's this many sinkholes, and it reveals the weaknesses, and now, you know, the, the, the utility companies, and the city, and, you know, Caltrans, and everything, they have to go and reinforce all of these weak places and fix them. The only reason God would need to strengthen us is because you and I are weak, right? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're weak. <laughs> and you're like, thanks for that encouragement. It's so important for us to remember that we're weak, because if I don't remember I'm weak, I'm going to forget that I need his strength. If I start thinking I'm all that and a bit more, I stop needing the power of God in my life. Paul says to the Ephesians, wait a minute. He's going to strengthen you in your inner being with power, and it's going to be amazing, and you're going to be rooted, established, rooted and established, and it's going to pass all, surpass all knowledge. The key here, though, is this, rooted and established in what? In love, and which can be written this way as well, in Christ. It's in his love. It's in the agape love of Jesus for you and me, which 
when you think about our vision as a church, helping people thrive in Christ. Helping people thrive in Christ, the in Christ part, in his love, that we're established and we're rooted in who he is. And it's at that point we have this power to start grasping and understanding how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We used to sing a song in Sunday school. The love of Jesus. Anyone else? Is so wonderful. Anyone? Maybe it was a South African thing. It's so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. Thank you. My wife knows it. All right, maybe it's an Alaska thing too. Um, So wide, you can't get around it. Oh, wonderful love. I had to finish it because I can't just leave it hanging out there. It's wide and it's long and it's high and it's deep and you just can't fathom it. But, but when you partner with Jesus Christ and you're established in him, you start getting a glimpse of how wide and high and long and deep and amazing the love of God is. But it's rooted in him. It's being established in him. And it surpasses knowledge. See, because like the Colossian church, where Gnosticism and this idea that, that, that you can work out your faith or your, your salvation by just understanding and having more knowledge or having that special revelation that we talked about, that knowledge kind of rules. Knowledge is king. It was then and, and it still is. See, if I know more than you, I have some kind of advantage over you. And so knowledge becomes this driving force. It becomes the thing that we, we seek after. And there's a, the, the enlightenment, this age and this time where people started realizing more and more about the world around them. And, and not, now all of a sudden we didn't need God anymore because I have this incredible knowledge. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. And this is before any of that even happened. Paul's saying the love of God surpasses knowledge and understanding. So whatever you think you know, you don't know nothing. Right? You don't know anything. See, because there are always things in life that don't make sense or that we can't make sense of. And it doesn't matter how much you know, there are situations that every one of us will face in our lives, different situations, different circumstances that just don't make sense. And it doesn't matter what schools you've gone to and what books you've read, you're going to look at those circumstances and go, I don't know what to do with this. But I can always go to the one who does know what to do with this. And so there's a danger here that we start relying on our own understanding. Relying on what we know and we stop relying on God and we have to remind ourselves every day, I'm weak. And I need the power of God in my life. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is real? What's real? God's real? How do you define reality? You can tell, I mean, if you want to answer. I, th- I think for a lot of the world, it's, it's not a trick question, by the way. For the world that we live in, reality is the things that we can touch and see, right? That there's empirical evidence for. There's things that you can, you can handle it. Right, that's all real. There are people that would say, well, the things that you can't see aren't real. But here's the thing. Who of you have a carbon monoxide, carbon monoxide tester in your home, right? An alarm. Can you see the carbon monoxide? 
No, will it kill you? Yeah. Well, and then people would say, well, but yeah, but you can with scientific equipment. Right? I can't see carbon monoxide, but it will kill me. And there are things that, that, that we start defining and basing our reality on what real is, and we miss the bigger understanding of who God is and how he wants to work in our lives. And, and, and here's the thing, the lie that's perpetuated on believers and unbelievers alike is this that the most important stuff in your life is the stuff that you can see, the stuff that you can handle, the stuff that you can taste, right? And that everything else is secondary. But in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. The very opposite is true. As I shared last week, we're going through, some of us are going through this class, the Truth Project, and, and the question that they ask is really at the center of this, this curriculum is this, do you believe that what you believe is really real? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? See, because it's too easy to say, well, I believe that, and then live in a way that doesn't actually produce evidence that you believe that. You know what I'm saying? For, for me to say, well, I believe that there's a God, and I believe that he loves me and he has a plan for my life, but then to live my life in such a way that actually is the antithesis or the argument against the very thing that I say that I believe. And so asking this question, do you believe that what you believe is really real is super important to ask, but we have to ask ourselves in the midst of that, what is real? What is reality? What's real to me? Because how I define reality will define how I walk with God. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 last week that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which so many would define that's reality. Flesh and blood is reality. Our struggle isn't there. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the thing that's real in our lives, that there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the reality, and that we have a Savior who's come that we would have life. I can't quantify those or hold those things in my hand. But they're more real than flesh and blood. And it's worth saying again, what we have to read here is this. People are not the enemy. People are never the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. Your neighbor with that dog that barks all night is not the enemy. The person that's being a jerk to you is not the enemy. See, because we want to rise up against the flesh and the blood. God says, no, 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 there's something else there, and we have to identify that, that there is an enemy of our soul that wants to steal and kill and destroy. So what is real to you? What is reality? See, because if I don't define what's real, then that hurricane strap becomes pointless. As Jesus says, your house then is built on the sand, not on the rock. Let me ask you this. How do you know if a hurricane strap works? How would, when they came up with the idea, 
of the hurricane strap. How did they know that it worked or not? <laughs> your roof is still there, but what, why would your roof be, why would you be concerned that your roof wasn't there anymore? Because it went through a hurricane, right? The way that you know that a hurricane strap works is at the end of a hurricane, you look at your house and go, my house is still there. I mean, you can install all the hurricane straps and, and anchors on your house that you want, which, by the way, after last Sunday, a bunch of you got on Facebook, and you were all posting pictures of, of hurricane straps and building, and I was like, that was, that was, and there was one picture, some guy who took like a ratchet strap, threw it over the top of his house, put like anchors in the yard, and like, <laughs> I don't think you're fully understanding how that works, right? <laughs> When you, when you go through the storm, you know that the anchor works. I want to use another illustration this morning. Let me put up a picture of what is a what's called a it's a forty seven foot uh, motor lifeboat. Right there, it's a forty seven foot Coast Guard boat. It was actually um, it's the second generation of this. The previous one was a forty four foot life-saving boat, and these were actually developed up in, uh, up in Oregon. Uh, the Columbia River, where it dumps out into the Pacific Ocean, um, has some of the roughest seas uh, in the world, and, and there's such a high volume of water dumping out into the ocean, and, and the, the way that the currents are, that these waves and these squalls just come, kind of pop up, and they found that they... The, the ships that they were using, the boats that they were using were just capsizing and, and sinking. Um, and, and they realized we need to develop something that can withstand the force of the storm. And so these motor life-saving boats are pretty amazing. Um, 47 feet long, can as a crew of four, and it can hold 30 passengers inside. Um, that, that's, that's pretty incredible in and of itself. But here's the thing that's amazing about this. It's built to withstand hurricane force winds and seas. That's, that's pretty cool. But here's the best part. That this boat, if it capsizes, will automatically right itself within 10 seconds. It's built to withstand a storm. Now, you can see there are people standing on top of that thing. Can you imagine... I mean, they get strapped in. They have all of these, they have anchors on the, 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 the deck, and then the, the pilot and those, and they, they, they can actually steer the boat from four different locations on the vessel. But if you're standing on the top of that bridge, that flying bridge up there, they strap you in. You have a life, a life vest, and you have all of the survival gear, but then they strap you to the deck. So just imagine for a second you hit a wave, and it capsizes you, and you're standing on that deck. Not a fun experience. Well, some of you are like, I'd try that. Um, that's how, that sounds a little nuts. Who would, who would who'd be up for that? Anyone? Okay. You guys are all crazy. I might give it a shot. I don't know. Um, I imagine being one of the passengers on the inside. For those 10 seconds, I imagine that's a long 10 seconds. But where's your hope? That this boat can right itself in 10 seconds, right? I'm under the water. One, two, three. (laughs) 
maybe some other words going through my mind at that moment. This vessel was built to withstand storms, and so were you. And so were you. That God has built you with a capacity and an ability. It's inherent in your design by your maker that you can withstand storms that your mind can't even fathom. God has built you in such a way that you are ready to withstand and face storms that you don't even know are coming. And I love, I've shared with you before, I love weather. This last week was great. I was like, I had like six different radar apps going, and I was like, and it was just cool watching this, you know, and the predictions. But here's the thing even the best weather predictions are just that. We don't know what's going to happen because we can't fully understand it. The storms in your life can't be predicted, they can't be predicted. But what we do know this is this that God has built you to withstand storms. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, through, verse 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, okay, let me stop. Um, that therefore means that you need to go this week and read chapter 4. Because Paul says some amazing things right before this, and we don't have time to talk about all of them. But, but I learned in Bible college, and anyone else who, who, who learned that when you see the word therefore, you have to ask what it's, what it's there for. Right? What's it there for? Let me go find out. So there's some things that are shared before this. Go check it out. Read chapter 4. In fact, just read the whole book of Romans because it's awesome. Therefore, in light of what Paul has just said, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going I'm to pause there. We're going to pick it up in verse 3 again in a minute. We have access through who? Through Jesus Christ. The key is always Jesus. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Salvation comes by no other name but except by the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key here. We've, gained, we've been justified. We've been made right with God by faith. Whose faith? Your faith. You put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, you've been made right. You've been justified. And you have peace with God. Amen? Isn't that great? You are no longer an enemy of God. Hallelujah. You have been, you, you've gained access by faith because of Jesus, and you now have peace with God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, one of the things that Paul had just got done saying is stop boasting. Don't boast. You have nothing to boast about because you're nothing. So stop boasting. But now he says, but now we boast, not in ourselves and what we've done and what we've accomplished, but we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Here's the thing. You're boasting about something you don't fully understand or fully see. Let me unpack that a little bit. You're boasting in the hope. Well, what is hope? Hope is something that, right, it hasn't happened yet, but you know it will. 
And so I'm going to boast about the fact that God is going to hold me and keep me strong and, and help me weather the storm even when I don't know what the storm is. I can boast about that. I can boast to people and say, God has me. Well, how do you know? Well, because of Jesus Christ and what he's done, and I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm, I'm a son, and I'm a daughter, and it's incredible. Yeah, but you don't know what's going to happen in your life. It doesn't matter what's going to happen in my life. In Daniel chapter 3, we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the names that were given to them, um, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and Azariah, thank you. Right? They're Hebrew names. And these three boys, when Nebuchadnezzar sets up the, the, the statue and says, okay, when, when we play the music, you bow down and worship the, the statue. And these three young Hebrew men say, no way, we're not going to worship. And so Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And he says, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And he's so mad, he's like, crank it up seven times hotter. And they say, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do to us whatever you want to do. Our God will save us. And then they say this line, even if he doesn't, that's hope. That's faith. See, because if God saves me, I'll worship him. But if he doesn't, well, forget about it. No, even if he doesn't save us, we still won't bow down and worship because we know he is the one true God. And of course, the story goes on. They throw them into the fiery furnace the people, the soldiers that throw them in actually die because it's so hot. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, wait a minute, what's going on? Didn't we throw three people in? But I see four, and the fourth one looks like the Son of Man, which when you read the Old Testament, when it says Son of Man, you can just insert Jesus. See, because in the presence of Jesus and in Christ, it doesn't matter what storms or furnaces come our way, that we can stand and we can boast in what we full, don't fully see and comprehend in this moment. What do we boast about? The glory of God. God's bigger than this. But then he goes on to say, so let's read in verse 3. Not only so, I love when Paul says that, it's like that, but wait, there's more. I mean, Paul would have been amazing in like QVC, right? But wait, there's more. Call now. We also glory in our sufferings. How many of you just wish you could skip that verse? Come on, let's be real, right? We read that and we're like, uh-huh, no, thank you. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why, you won't be put, why, why won't you be put to shame? Because when you call on the name of Jesus Christ, the people around you look at you and go, why is it that you can go through difficult stuff and it doesn't wreck your world? Because I boast in the hope of the glory of God. And I can stand in the midst of suffering and perseverance. And it, it looks like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Come on, Lord. Eight, nine, ten. And we pop through the surface and realize, wow, I was built to weather a storm in Christ. See, what are you strapped to? What are you tied down to? What is, what is supporting you? 
Will it right itself? See, because we start getting nervous and we're like, Lord, I'm going to just jump off the ship and try and do it my own way. God's like, that, whatever it is you're clinging to, your, your finances, your health, your kids, your work, that will not right itself. Jesus alone. See, it's in Christ, rooted, established in him. You want to know what's real? Christ's love is real. Jesus' love for you is the most real thing you will ever know. I, uh, I've been wanting to use a whiteboard in church for a while. So what does this look like? Because this, it, this grace in which we now stand, I think, is something that, that is one of those verses, let's be honest, we read it and go, that sounds good. I have no idea what it means, but it sounds good. Right and Lord, you just you just unpack and do whatever you need to do. I this has been a favorite of mine. This grace in which we now stand. See, it it, it speaks about your present reality. In fact, the way that the, the the verb is used there, that standing, it's a present tense, which means that something happened in the past to make it possible for you to stand in the reality in which you now stand. Um, when our when our kids were small, we would well we still make them shower. But when we were small, um, now they just kind of do it on their own sometimes. Um, and one of our kids, and I won't pick on any one particular. You can kind of guess which one this was. We we sent them off to take a shower. It wasn't Grace because girls don't tend to do this. But um, one of the boys go take a shower. Okay, goes to take a shower. Come back down and. Wow, your hair looks really dry. Did you, did you actually get under the water? Well, ki- kind of. Go back and take a shower. Comes back down. Now the hair's wet, but Megan goes, did you use shampoo? Well, n- no. Go back and do it again. Goes back upstairs, goes back in, comes back down again. Did you use soap to wash your body? Well, now, now this child is mad, and we're going, you actually have to stand under the water, and you actually have to use some shampoo and some soap for this to actually be effective. <laughs> Here's the thing. The grace in which you now stand is a present reality for you. It's the place where God wants to pour out his blessing in your life. And when I say blessing, I'm not talking about dollar signs or, or peace in your home or well, I just have a sense of health. and right, that, That's not blessing. I want to redefine blessing for us a little bit. Blessing us receiving what is receiving whatever God brings our way. Why? Why can I say that? Because Paul says we glory in our sufferings. And the reason I can do that is I stand in this place of grace. And we have to understand grace is, there's two ideas of grace. Grace is a part of the characteristic of, uh, of who God is. It's the thing that, that he extends to us so that we can have a relationship with him. But it's also a present reality for us, standing in this place of grace. And so if if I would illustrate it, it would be this way, that, that you're born and, and you start living your life, and let's say at some point you will die. I'm sorry, bad news today. 
at some point you're going to die. Um, unless Jesus comes back. Um, but unless he tarries, that every one of us, right? And at some point in our lives, and we have all of these different events in our lives, at some point the hope is, is that we surrender our lives to Jesus and we make him the Lord of our lives. And, and here's what a lot of people see this grace as being, is, is it becomes this, this covering that covers me until that, that there's this, this reality of grace in my life that just, right? Would you guys agree with that? That now I'm covered by this grace. The problem is, is this is wrong thinking. See, that the grace that I stand in isn't just for this age, it's for the age to come. So it looks more like this, that yes, I will be born, or I was born. That was a weird sentence, right? Of course I was born. And at some point I will die, or I'll be taken back up to heaven. And at some point, I gave my life to Jesus, and the grace in which I now stand, yes, it starts there. It brings me to a point of the salvation. But instead of it ending at the end of my life, it continues for eternity. So the grace that I'm in, standing in covers this life and the life that comes after death. So why can I rejoice in my sufferings? Because I know that the suffering is just going to happen here. Which in reality, this line, just imagine it continuing through the curtains, through the wall, and going on forever. It becomes this, becomes this little scratch on the surface of my life. And so now, because of this grace in which I now stand, I understand my life, not in light of this world, in, of this reality, I understand my life in light of God's reality, which says I will live with him for eternity. And that one day I will be in a place where there is no suffering, where there is no pain. And where we have perfect communion and union with God the Father. See, I can boast in the hope of the glory of God because, yes, I can see it now, but I'm going to also see it fully and I can't wait to see it fully. We sang earlier, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. See, because fear and what, what Satan wants to do is cripple us in this season right here. And we come to Christ, because can we be honest? Like th those that haven't come to Jesus, he's like... Uh, I don't know if you're spending time on you because, well, you've not come to Christ. I'll like try and keep you away. But when we come to Jesus, his goal is to limit our effectiveness, to distract us, to cut our legs out from under us. And the way that he does that, he says, you know what? Did God really say he's going to bless you? Well, your, your life should be free from pain and suffering. If God really loves you, bad things shouldn't happen. And God's going, whoa, 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 time out. You're looking at the speck, at the little scratch on the surface of what life really is. God's saying, I'm looking at all of this. 
So in the right perspective, the things that the enemy wants to keep us focused on here, God's going, no, no, look this way, not this way. And so I can boast in the hope of the glory of God. He goes on to say that the suffering produces some stuff in us. Perseverance, character, and hope. Something that all of us could do, use more of. Amen? James chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. James writing this letter to the churches says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in, in the, the letters that are written in the New Testament, they always start there. Why? He's saying, hey, I'm James, and I'm established in Christ. And so I'm not writing this letter with my own understanding, my own wisdom. I want you to know that this is, this is because of my relationship in G with Jesus Christ and the fact that I'm established in him. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay. We've read James, right? We're going to talk about consider your pure joy. But before that... The, the church had been scattered. It was, uh, it was this, the scattering and the persecution of the church that, that sent them all over the known world at that time. And so he's writing to people who've been displaced from their homes because of the gospel. So we, we were catching that. So, so you're receiving a letter. Let's say he's writing to you. You're no longer in Glendora. Now, now you're in some other place. That's not your home. And the reason you're there is because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. In light of that, he says, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants you to thrive. And this theme is all throughout Scripture. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What is your reality? See, because you were built to weather storms. But just like the disciples in the boat, if your eyes stop being on Jesus and they start focusing on the storms, you're in trouble. For that Coast, Coast Guard pilot on that ship, the hope is in this, that someone built and engineered this ship so well that even if I go under for a momentary portion of time, I'm going to pop back up on the other side. Now our hope is in something much bigger. Jesus says that you stand in this grace that covers you for eternity. And yes, during this life, you may suffer some things. You might go through stuff, but, but I've built you to withstand and weather the storms because I know what's coming after that. I'm looking at the long view. Pastor Tom, during worship, had come up next to me. He said, you know, he had a picture of someone holding out a cup. And God pouring out his blessing and, and the cup being removed from the, the flow. Or, or, or I had a picture of this, like 
here's the cup and here's the water, but I'm covering the cup. And, and so I say this, Lord, I'll, I'll take the good but not the bad. I'll take, I'll take the things that feel nice, but everything else you can keep. And God says, no, 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 I want to do a work in your life. And sometimes suffering will be the thing I use to produce what I want to produce in you. I asked this question of our youth on Wednesday night. Does God cause bad things to happen to us? Does God cause bad, bad things to happen to us? So I, don't, I don't believe that God is an inflictor of pain, but I do know this, that because of his perspective, he knows that we live in this present age, and we live in a broken world. And quite often, we self-inflict, right? There's things that we do to ourselves, and there's things that are done to us. See, because how I... When I believe that what I believe is really real, it will not just affect and must affect the way I live, but it will also affect how I respond to the stuff that happens in and around me. It must. And it tests our faith. And it produces something in us. I want to read a portion of a Facebook post that was posted this morning by my friend J.P., um, JP and his wife Noni have a beautiful family up in Anchorage. And four weeks ago, their son Isaac, who's 13 years old, was taking a bath and his heart stopped. And he ended up slipping under the water, and they estimate that he was under the water for about half an hour. They were able to resusc resuscitate him, but he's been on life support for the last four weeks. They made the decision last or yesterday that today they would be removing him from life support. Excuse me. I want to read you what he wrote because it rocked my world. And I believe, you know, sometimes what these things that we talk about, yes, you may be weathering storms and maybe things are good in your life right now, but I think the perspective that this gives couldn't have come at a more perfect time. JP writes this, my pain tonight is not because I fear that my son may, may die tomorrow, nor is my contention for miraculous recovery, uh, nor is my contention for miraculous recovery is driven by fear of death. In fact, I've been in the medical field for nearly 20 years. I know that my son had already died that night before I could lay him on my living room floor. I fully grasp that medically, his condition, since regaining a pulse, was not hopeful. I've come to peace, having a strong sense that Isaac has not been with us since he left my home in the ambulance. No, it's not the fear of death or naivety that pains me or drives me to interpret every little thing as a sign of hope. It's love. I weep knowing that Isaac may be missing for the rest of my life on this earth. Believing that he may already be gone, I still contend for his life and kiss his cheek and speak life to him daily in spite of all I truly understand about his medical condition because I could be wrong and my son just might need his daddy to fight for him right now, and to rally the world to, um, to do so as well. Excuse me. 
Isaac in many ways. Chose love over fear throughout his life. So my own discomfort and inconvenience. He's an amazing kid. Much of life, meaningful life, took place simply because he kicked up the dust. This has been no different. I continue to receive testimonies of lives that have been touched in miraculous ways as people partake in this journey with us. My own heart, though put through the ringer, has traveled through the deepest and darkest places only to find the tender mercies of Yahweh with, with <laughs> new with each rising of the sun. So whatever you're feeling tonight as we prepare for tomorrow, do not fear. Isaac requires no anxiety of us. He will rise to eternal joy or joyfully join us for more years of futility on this earth. I couldn't have written that, honestly. But here's the thing that strikes me, is that's how God our Father felt when he sent Jesus. That's the same perspective. He goes on to share that they already have identified recipients of the organ donations that he's going to make. And that through his passing, others will live. I can't imagine a worse storm. I can't imagine a worse storm to live through. But I hear in the words of my friend this, Jesus is at the center. Jesus is working. There are testimonies already of what God is doing in people's lives because of our pain and what we're walking through. See, JP has a perspective of eternity that allows him in the midst of losing his son. And please hear me in this. It's not flip or trite. Oh, it's no big deal. This man is in agony. Noni, his wife, is in agony. But the thing that keeps him strapped to the deck is the hope of the love and the glory of Jesus Christ. Where is your hope today? Are you in Christ? Are you able to say, I rejoice in the suffering? I, and not in a weird way. It's like, come on, bring it on. No, that's, that's not Lord, I will weather whatever storm you bring my way because you've given me the ability to stand in the midst of unspeakable pain because you're at the center of my life. I want to put up on the screen, as you imagine, their medical bills for this family have been mounting over the last month. If you have the Bible app, there's actually a link, but... We can put that up. They've set up a GoFundMe page for Isaac, for their family. If you feel led, there's no pressure and don't feel like there's an emotional arm twisting. But I believe that some of you this morning would uh, want to help partner with a family who you don't even know. Um, but if you feel led to, to give, that's how you can do that and be a support to their family and be praying for the, the Olets today. That's their last name, the Olets. 
I read that this morning and I thought, oh, do I really want to share that? I told you I was raw. I read this and I'm like, I don't want to go to church. God said, no, 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 no. You allow that young man's life to be an encouragement to this body. Where's your hope today? Church, let me tell you, you are built to weather storms you can't imagine. But the key here is knowing that you are rooted and established in the person of Jesus Christ. Can we stand together? I'm going to ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never had this moment right here, where you've come to him and said, Lord, I, I surrender my life to you. I want to I serve you. I want you to come and, and be my Savior, my Lord, my everything. If you've not done that before today, and you'd like to do that today, I want to give you the opportunity. If you want to say yes to the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And this is not meant to embarrass you or, or put you on the spot, but more an invitation and an opportunity to say yes to the Lord. If there's anyone this morning who would say yes, I just want you to raise your hand so I can agree with you and so we can celebrate. Anyone today who would say yes to Jesus Christ? I have a follow-up question. Is there anyone today where you've realized that you've anchored yourself to the wrong things? You would say, I need to make a change. Maybe I need to come back to Jesus. Maybe I've been drifting. Maybe you've removed that anchor and you've attached it to other things in your life. And today you'd say, I need to make some adjustments. I need to come back to, to Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? One hand right over here. Anyone else? Thank you. Another hand. Another hand over here. Anyone else? Father, I pray for those who just raise their hands for their boldness, Lord. And Lord, I pray for all of us. Lord, I know it's so easy to get tied up and, and get focused on the things of this earth, things of this world, the things that exist in this present reality and we forget, Lord, that there's a reality that is bigger than this. The reality of the love and the grace of, of God in our lives. The reality of an eternity that we get to spend with you in heaven. Lord, I recognize today there might be some who are going through trials and storms right now. And they feel so far away from being in a place of rejoicing. They just want it to be done and over. God, I pray that through your word and by your Holy Spirit today that you would give us what we need to be able to rejoice in the midst of the storm. Lord, your word tells us that we've been built to weather the storm. That we cannot be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That there's nothing in this world or beyond this world that can, that can shut off that flow of love and blessing and grace in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come back to a place of standing under the fountain 
God, that we would praise you and give you honor and glory for the good and the difficult things that come into our lives, recognizing that you're doing a work. And as you say in Philippians, that you who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. That you don't give up and you lack nothing. We pray for the Olet family today. What could possibly be the hardest day of their lives? We pay peace over them. Lord, we thank you for even these words that JP wrote that served as an encouragement to us today. I pray as they mourn, God, that you would surround and uphold them by your mighty hand. Church, this morning, I've asked our leadership team, our pastors, our, our prayer team to be available. During this last song, we're not going to have the ushers moving. We already received tithes and offerings. But I want to give an opportunity during this last song. If you need to pray with someone, if you're in the midst of the storm, sometimes you need to reach out and grab a hand. And we want to be available. I actually ask for our, our prayer team to just even kind of move down the sides and around the front here. Let's make some space. And during this last song, if you want to, if you need prayer, if you need someone to stand with you and agree with you in prayer, just encourage you. We'd love to do that. There's no judgment. This is, a, this is an atmosphere of grace. No one's looking at you going, well, I wonder what's wrong with them. Can we just agree? We're all messed up. We're all broken. Right? There's no perfect people in this place. We all need a touch of grace in our lives. And so don't feel like, oh, I don't want to go because someone, who cares? He's a good, good father. And you are surrounded with brothers and sisters who would love to agree with you in prayer today. So take full advantage of that today as we close in worship.